So everything in our lives starts with a vision, you know, especially as adults, we, we, when we start getting mature enough to kind of see, okay, where do I want my life to go? Where do I want, do I want to be an entrepreneur, et cetera? So when you're looking at deciding, okay, what do I love? What do I want? The first thing you got to do is take a big poster board and start drafting it up because we're visual creatures. Most of us are visual creatures. And when you actually put it on paper, now you're looking at it. It's creating your mind to cognitively actually look at it and start thinking about it. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you. All right. Have you ever balanced a checkbook? Can you tell me what that means? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I often... I think I do maybe the 2024 approach to that of of regularly, I would say, updating my register and categorizing my expenses and managing my overall cash flow. I, I think balancing my checkbook probably comes in in there somehow. Do you actually write it on a little register, like on the little thing on the form, or are you doing this oh, online? No. All, all online, but yeah. also I think you're you're implying like I'm regularly writing checks to people. <laughs> And then I'm like into like putting in like the amount like of the check and and to whom it was sent. Uh, it, no, I I don't do that because it is 2024. But exactly, I regularly, you know, stay, stay, try to stay, stay on top of uh, where my money's going. You know, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> um, a long time ago, yes, I balanced the checkbook and wrote out checks. Um, there's still a couple of people that like contractors and things that really like checks. So if they don't take a Venmo or PayPal or something like that, that I do have to find the checkbook and, and write them a check. But no, I'm not going back into the checkbook register and balancing that out based on the checks that I've written. I will go into my online bank statement and look at those kind of things. But um, no, I don't, uh, I don't actually go back and balance the actual checkbook. You know, all the contractors that I know really like cash. I don't even, I don't even think they take checks. Some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> they do They're like cash, for... <laughs> but there's a nice record to having a check. There, there is, yes. Yes, yes. So, okay. well, paper trail. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's yeah. what I meant. So uh, the reason that I'm asking, uh, asking about uh, the checkbook is because today's guest is all about finances. So yeah. we get to talk to Patty Mason today, who is an accountant, a CPA, also a business advisor, but she has such a great holistic view of the whole financial journey um, that I think it can help anybody in any business, but we definitely take the attractions approach uh, to the financial piece of the business today. 
And let me tell you, she is passionate about what she talks about. Yes. If you clicked into this episode going, well, they're talking to an accountant today. What is what is this interview going to be like? It's probably not going to be like what you would think about if you're having a, a podcast interview with an accountant, right? I mean, she is, I mean, I, I feel like she used finance as probably the, the thread line that connected her overall strategy and philosophy and guidance towards running and operating a business. And, and we go into, we talk about financial literacy and we talk about uh, the metrics that you should use. And we talk about profitability and, uh, and and it's so much more than simply do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. This is, uh, the, I, I pulled so many quotes from this interview. I, we're, we're gonna have to figure out what, you know, which ones we're gonna go into our social posts because she gave so many great nuggets of wisdom. So we're gonna have to budget our quotes. Mm. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Which ones, which ones are going to get cut? Hmm, I don't now, know. she also talked about transformational leadership, which you might not associate with someone who is an accountant. However, this goes back to her holistic approach and looking at the business, not just from the financial standpoint, but also from the employee standpoint, you know, culture, you know, what are the CEOs doing? How are they treating their team members? All of those things really do impact the financial health of your organization. And you're right, there was a lot of concepts and a lot, a lot of through lines to finances, but there was also some very practical, do this, do this, do this, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know I took a bunch of notes on that stuff as well. We zoomed way out and we zoomed way in. I think we did that probably multiple times throughout, throughout this interview. Uh, she also talked about an abundance mindset. And I think that alone, we probably uh, could could do a whole separate interview just talking about that concept, particularly as it contrasts to a scarcity mindset. We talk about what happens when perhaps there's there's an economic downturn that's coming or, or what happens when you recognize that business is starting to slip. What are the ways to use an abundance mindset to be able to protect your business from that standpoint? And, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're not a business owner, that's okay, because I think this applies to everything that we do in whatever our role is in the work environment that, we in, that we're in, and frankly, with our personal finances in our lives as well. So is it time to pull out the checkbook and get to this interview with Patty? Let's balance it. Hey, Patty, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Doing great, doing great. So excited to jump in this conversation. So why don't we uh, start from the beginning? Well, maybe not all the way back to the beginning, but tell us a little bit about your career and uh, kind of what you do. Oh, awesome. So again, my name is Patty Mason. I am a public accountant. I'm not the typical public accountant that just does a tax return and you kind of move on onto the next one. I'm the kind of public accountant that actually takes interest in your business, takes interest in everything that you got going on and takes a holistic approach to your financial world so that I can help you navigate it and become most successful in your finances. Aside of that, uh, we do a full service accounting service at our firm. We do bookkeeping, payroll processing, payroll, payroll taxes, income taxes. We do it all. But I love the consulting side of it because truly my passion is to help small businesses thrive. Excellent. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the holistic approach that, that you take for, for someone who might not be as necessarily savvy in the financial world what is the holistic approach what what is uh, i would say your whole process from beginning to end <laughs> that is such an awesome question because 
when you think about it, we have different uh, levels of our lives, different journeys in life, right? We start at a young age, we're mentored by parents, we go to school, etc. So if your foundation is not based on understanding the value of money, then you carry on into your adulthood, not having that financial literacy knowledge. That's so critical. And this is a, a trouble in our uh, you know, education system right now. So if you don't have that financial literacy, then you start making your decision based on all you know, what you know, and all the influences that may or may not be that great for your financial uh, decision-making. So the holistic approach for me is we talk about, okay, what is your plan for today? What is your plan for tomorrow? And what is the plan for retirement? So I created this framework of a trifecta, basically. Let's say that you work on a W-2 uh, salary. You take that W-2 salary, you split it in three. You designate one third to your wants, one third to your needs, and one third to your savings. And when you look at your savings, for example, once you build that savings up, now we're looking at short-term liquid funds, we're looking at long-term, and we're looking at retirement. So we take a holistic approach to your financial life from the time you start earning money all the way to retirement so that you can retire with money. So I feel like there's a lot of different ways that we could take this conversation. I, I feel like we could talk to talk to you about the business side of things and certainly uh, focus on financial literacy for a business owner, but also for people who are, like you said, a W-2 employee. So how do they manage their money throughout the their journey uh, within an organization? But let's let's maybe start with the business side, if we could. Because okay. um, I know that when you and I first spoke, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, kind of going from a vision of having a business to actually being profitable. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there listening, whether they're on the manufacturer side or they're, they're trying to build up an attraction, that you know, maybe they have a vision. Maybe they they say, "Hey, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to I want to you know entertain people." But how do you go from that to then actually having a profitable profitable business? So I'm wondering if you can maybe outline some of the key points of that. Oh, absolutely! What a joy this is. Uh, absolutely. So everything in our lives starts with a vision, you know, especially as adults, we, we, when we start getting mature enough to kind of see, okay, where do I want my life to go? Where do I want, do I want to be an entrepreneur, et cetera? So when you're looking at deciding, okay, what do I love? What do I want? The first thing you got to do is take a big poster board and start drafting it up because we're visual creatures. Most of us are visual creatures. And when you actually put it on paper, now you're looking at it, it's creating your mind to cognitively actually look at it and start thinking about it. So once you have identified what your vision, what your vision is, the next step is to create a framework around it. So what does that framework look like? Okay, well, number one here, okay, what do I wanna do? Number two is, what is what is my target? Who's my target audience? Who who I don't who do I want to push this out to? And then how can I research my industry, look to see what other people are doing, and start generating a budget in essence? Start pulling together the financial data, some projections to see what this would cost. But the critical thing is education. Education is really important. Once you have your vision drafted once you have the framework drafted on how you're going to execute it do the research 
research is so important because you already see what's who's your competition. You're seeing how your competition may price things. Uh, then you take a look at and figure out who's your target audience. Are these amusement parks? Are they, you know, uh, other entertainment centers? Depends on the product that you put try to put out there. You got to figure out where that place is and what those target audience are. Once you determine that, you create a budget and a business plan. Once you have a budget and you have a business plan, you can start looking at, okay, let me see, do I have some seed money? Do I have some startup money? It's always wise to put some money away, stack some money up before you decide to start a business. It's so important because that seed money becomes very helpful when you go to the bank and you have a down payment for that business loan, right? Also having your financial statements, your tax returns, everything in order is critical also when you start putting this into play because all that's gonna come into play when you are trying to get funding. So that's how you kind of arrive to the point of getting funding. Once you get, get into funding and you start getting into the development process, you really don't know if you're brand new, you really don't know the costs. You really don't know all these intricate details that may go into the product you're trying to develop. So with that said, that's why you do the research to kind of get some kind of framework for some costs that might work. So you're really guessing a little bit of this. You're projecting a little bit of this. Until you put it into action, you don't know. So once you start with that and you start looking at the true numbers to it, then you can start deciding, okay, is this going to be viable? Is it not going to be viable? So you have to do some critical thinking at that point once you start putting it into action, if this is something worth doing or not worth doing, and then how you can also look at additional funding, investors. So that starts growing from that point as to what more you got to do to get to that point of success. I have about nine follow-up questions. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, well, they'll probably come through throughout the, the course of the, the interview sure. here. The, the first one, though, I actually, I want to touch on something you mentioned uh, just towards the end there and about creating projections. And I've always found it to be so fascinating that so many businesses can, can create projections that ultimately come to be relatively close. When I think even just about my one person small business that I have trying to create projections of business I haven't sold yet or, or revenue right. that I can't even count on yet. I'm curious as far as just what's what's the magic to creating projections and really understanding how you can forecast business that hasn't happened yet. There's so many factors that that could potentially happen after you make the projections. What a great question. What a great question. So we benchmark, right? So we figure out again with the research to see what does what is my competition doing? You know, so first you have to take a look at any kind of research you can do to pull data together. So there's got to be some kind of, you know, the publicly traded companies have their, what is that, the K, K, K3, K5 reports, where you can get some kind of pieces of information on unit prices on certain things. Again, it goes back to the industry or the product that you're trying to sell. But there is some data out there thank God for the internet, right? There's some data out there that you can pull just from various reports to kind of get to some kind of number. And, but truly, honestly, a lot of those numbers are not coming purely from research. You got to have some kind of guesstimation by knowing the industry you're getting into. So you're going to do some kind of guesstimating with this. So one of the things that I'm curious about, it kind of goes along 
along that line is about metrics and what people are looking at in terms of to know if their business is healthy or if you're in that projection phase, how do you know if you're on track, right? So so maybe looking at it from the from the business standpoint of what should a business operator be looking at every single day or every single week or every single month to know if their business is, is healthy because there's going to be a lot of expenses. There's going to be a lot of things that, you know, come and go or emergency funds and things like that. So um, from your experience, you know, consulting with a lot of, a lot of businesses, what are those things that people should be looking at daily or, or weekly or monthly to see if their business is healthy? That is, that is a great question. So one of the things that I'm noticing with small businesses that they don't have good record keeping. So the first step always and forever is to make sure that you keep good records. Because if you don't keep good records, what are we, how can we make decisions? How can we see the health of your business if we don't have our records together? So record keeping is important. When you, once you get your records together, now you can analyze all your expenses, all your income, and you verify if you're profiting or not you can see how much you're spending on a particular item versus your revenue from that particular item. So there's QuickBooks, that's a software that we use for small business accounting, but that, especially the enterprise solutions, has a really great way of putting product prices in there, actual cost versus you know uh, how much you're making, right? When you're selling this product and it can give you your profit margins. So, how do you know what your profit margin should be? Well, as long as you're in the positive, you're going trending in the right direction. Again, you go back to your benchmark or your projected amounts and see based on your projected amounts versus your reality, are you where are you? And of course, you use some financial discernment to say, okay, well, I'm in the positive. What is my desired ROI? What is my desired return on that investment? So that comes into play. So when you're creating those projections and those benchmarks, you got to have a desired return on your investment. So if a component is 50 bucks, I want to make 150 on it. Then when I actually spend the money and have the money come in, that's going to tell me how close I am to achieve that, that goal. So you always want to have the end in mind, right? So what is the end result that I desire? And you kind of work backwards to price those. But find, but record keeping is critical because that's going to have the data that you need to make your decisions mm. to see if you're healthy or not. And then with that ROI comes the question of what do you do with that? So I actually want to tie it back to something you mentioned earlier of kind of dividing into the, the three-pronged approach, which you talked about from the standpoint of a W-2 of a third goes to wants, a third goes to needs, a third goes to savings. Is that a similar application in business as well? Or how, how does it work from that standpoint? 100%, 100%. So it's so important to keep your uh, business healthy, but also you want to have reserves. Because with, with our crazy world today, we have a cyclical market in a lot of ways. You know, if things get more expensive, if things get cheaper, that has the economy has a big impact on our businesses. So it's always critical that you have a reserves account. I advise everyone to have a, a reserves account, a money market account, where you automatically park X amount of money. Um, now, as far as budgeting, so business budgeting is, is just as critical as personal budgeting, right? So 
our business budgeting fo it focuses more or less on the needs, which is our actual cost for everything that we're doing, uh, our revenues, our savings, and our desired profits, right? And our desired profits go to, of course, the shareholders go to, you know, that's where you want to gain from it. If you have a small business S corp, that's your distribution. So that's pretty much where your focus is, is on the savings and all the all the costs and all are the ROIs, right? The net profit. Because the net profit, when we're talking small business, then that profit ultimately is the shareholders. And that uh, savings ultimately is the shareholders to maintain the health of the business. So kind of along those lines, I'm curious, like from your consulting practice and, and no need to say any names, but are there are there people that you work with that don't have that plan or then when they when they walk into you, they don't they're not thinking about today, tomorrow and retirement or, you know, those three those three definite steps. Absolutely. It's a larger percentage that don't have it, that have it. Uh, and what's neat is that those clients that actually buy into the plan, I mean, I literally draw this up on a piece of paper and I give it to them, you know, and I say, hey, plan your finances like this. And six months from now, let's see what happens to that reserve account. And yeah. those people that buy into it are just thriving. They all thrived through COVID because we always plan on that and they listen. And there's clients that just don't wanna give up control. And, and you know, how can you blame people? That's my baby, that's all my money. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. And I get that, but that's just not the reality of how our economy and how our world works. You should always have those reserves. So, you know, that's what I would say about that. Yeah. <laughs> So I have a question about the reserves and you mentioned, you know, putting into a, a money market account. So I'll, the, the thing that has stopped me from the most part of amping up the reserves within my business was that would be that it would show as profitability and I have to pay taxes on that. Are, are there ways around that or does a business owner just need to accept that what they're putting into reserves is going to be taxed? This is a really great question and it's a major misconception. So let's talk about that. So what's in the reserves is not what you pay tax on. What you pay tax on is your net income. That net income, you have tax planning strategies for. So, and what those could be, those could be, you know, um, having to buy more assets, creating passive income with that money, et cetera, which you can do cost segregation studies if you buy a commercial property, for example, or other real estate, for example. So there's ways to plan for that profit, but that's not necessarily what's in your reserves. So we don't pay tax on cash in bank. We pay tax on revenues minus expenses equals profit or loss. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of speaking of that, maybe misconceptions, what are some of the maybe um, most common mistakes that small business owners make? Like for, they're, maybe they have record keeping, right? That you already mentioned. Maybe they even have a semblance of a plan, but on the on the day to day, um, what are some of those um, mistakes that might, you know, come back to haunt them later? Great question. So a lot of these small businesses start out with single member LLCs, for example. Single member LLCs are di considered disregarded entities for tax purposes. 
So a lot of times these small businesses, again, we go back to saying, I make all this money and this is all my money concept. So this is a scarcity mindset where, you know, uh, we need it. So we're going to spend it. So a lot of times these small businesses like to break even. I don't want to pay taxes. I'm going to break even. What they're not considering is through single member uh, LLCs and disregarded entities, the tax that you pay in on that particular profit is considered self-employed taxes. And those taxes have a component to them that pays into your Social Security and Medicare. And in spite of what the belief system is, if there's, if it's going to be there, it's not going to be there, it's better to plan for it than not plan for it. So to a certain extent, you got to know that if it's going to be there, then you want it to be substantial enough to be able to add more funds to your you know, budget. When you retire, you're not going to have the same energy. You're not going to work. In so, you're not going to be able to work so much. So therefore, you have to have some money, you know, coming from various different directions. Social Security would be one of them. Also, health insurance, right? Your Medicare would supplement a lot of your care. Well, if you're not paying into that system, then you can't expect anything out. And unfortunately, this mentality is rapid in this country. Uh, and rapidly, especially the immigrants that come to work here, they don't understand the concept of paying into a system to get out of the system. So that's a huge misconception for small mm. businesses. That's really fascinating. Uh, can you expand on what you mean by a disregarded entity? Sure, absolutely. So L LLC is considered a legal structure. Uh, incorporations are considered legal structures, but that's not how we pay tax. A tax structure is different from a legal structure. So we pay tax based on uh, a corporation or we pay tax based on partnership or sole proprietorship. So sole props are basically single member LLCs or solo practitioners that are unincorporated. So LLCs, the legal structure may be there for possible protection, but it's not, not considered a taxing entity it's considered disregarded for tax purposes hmm. Hmm. so i'm curious if we kind of attack this from the attractions part of it right um sure. are there any special unique challenges that attraction operators might face from a financial standpoint um that they need to be watching out for or or looking forward to in terms of uh, making sure that they've got all their ducks in a row Okay, so in that perspective, would these uh, individuals, would they be small businesses that are part of the attraction or they are vendors to the attraction community? How are how are these individuals related to the attraction? I'm Does thinking that make about, a difference? absolutely. I'm thinking about the attraction owner, right? So it could be somebody that is an owner of a, of a family entertainment center, or they're, you know, building up an amusement park or a cultural attraction or something of that nature where, you know, it's a small business, you know, kind of, you might, you might call it a mom and pop, right? Yes. Um, I, I want to watch out for mom and pop, right? So got it. looking, looking at their specific needs. Got it. Got it. Got it. Man, so there's a lot of cost associated with these mom and pops. So it's cost heavy. So it's important that we have funding, adequate funding to dive into uh, an amusement park. There's also, you know, a lot of liability exposure. So that's something to be aware of. Uh, asset protection is major. Get a really good attorney that that thrives off of serving our society. Uh, Value-driven attorney that's going to 
position you to protect those assets. Um, amusement parks, I mean, they, they have a lot of liability exposure. So you also want to protect your personal assets. So it's important that we put a separation between our business and ourselves so that in case something happens, it doesn't come and take everything away from our household. So this is a very critical that uh, that's one of the first things I would do if I'm a amusement park op owner, operator, that I would look into how to protect those assets from myself to keep them separated. Mm -hmm. Also, we have to also look at how are we profiting? How are we profiting in an amusement park, for example? How are we profiting? Mitigating for taxes is always like the end game in a particular year, but that's not what you do throughout the year. Throughout the year, you want to make money. And based on what, you know, if you have a, 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 a day of collections in income, right, in revenue from the parks, are we up or down that month? So the record keeping is fabulous looking at that monthly to see what we what we take in, what we pay out. Are we in the in the green at all times? So that's also good and key to look at because should we increase our, our admissions, should we not increase our admissions, that's how we kind of maintain our ability to continue to grow. But the major, major issue when it comes to this type of industry, this type of business is to have asset protection around it. Honestly, I think that's the most important. Yeah, profit is important, but profit can be easily you know, maneuver through once you know what your realities are and how you're going to increase those realities based on your incremental growth, which is a, an internal decision. But asset protection is massive in this area. Mm. And, and what are some of the best ways to do that and do that and putting pr the protection between the business and yourself? Is that is that simply setting up an, an LLC or, or corporation or are there more layers to that that business owners should be mindful of? Good question. And, you know, I'm not an attorney to advise on the legal protection of these things. I know just enough because I've been around business and an attorney and industry. And it's my personal opinion because I have asset protection around my assets. So I know that I created a, a level of protection where I have a, um, a living trust. This living trust is owned, all these LLCs that hold my assets, right? They are owned by this living trust. So if if all this would be liquidated, it all comes back to the trust, and ultimately that's the most positive, uh, you know, protection over my assets. So it's something to consider and something to talk to a really good estate attorney with. Yeah, well, and it sounds like one of the things you're you're really advocating for is getting the professionals on your side that can help you with these things, right? And you know, if I were to look at that from my own business, and you know, Josh and I run you know, one person businesses each, right? But there's still a lot of people that we need, you know, a lot of expertise that we need to be, to be um, profitable and to be, and to be good business, good stewards of our own. Right. Business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Go ahead. No, I was just no, going to add, I just wanted to, sorry. I just wanted to add one more thing to it. I apologize. Um, I just wanted to add to that is that, you know, the important thing is that there's a lot of accountants, a lot of attorneys, a lot of people. And what you don't, you, you don't know, you don't know. But the important thing is that you do have, as a business owner, a good accountant, a, a good financial advisor, and a good attorney. Because these individuals that are well-centered, that are value-centered, they're going to educate you. 
you know, educate you not only on the business, not only on the money side of it, not only on the tax mitigating side of it, but they're going to educate you on protecting those assets, on on investments, on on various things that's going to take your money to make more money for you. In that big, you know, picture when we're talking about the holistic approach, holistic approach to money is 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 all encompassed by these professionals, and these professionals, it's an investment paying their fees. It's not an expense. Because an accountant, uh, an attorney, these are all deductible items in a business, but there's no value on education. You know, that's all I wanted to add about that. Perfect. You mentioned earlier, you know, we're talking about the the metrics and and profitability and, and managing costs. And curious as far as when a business owner or, or operator identifies that a, a decline is beginning or approaching, and perhaps it's based on the economy, perhaps it's based on, uh, not just on seasonality where it's where it's uh, a little easier to, yeah. to predict it of summer winding down, kids going back to school, et cetera, but things starting to slip and perhaps they have those reserves beefed up or perhaps they don't. What are maybe some of those first steps to avoid that momentum building up in the decline of the business? Really, really good question. So this is why, again, this is why those reserves are important. But what's also very important that you keep your credit intact, because these are about the times you can get some funding, a pretty decent funding that can sustain some of these downturns or give you a leverage to get a leg up to kind of continue the business until the new season comes in where we're making more money. So it's important that when you're in business, not only do you have sound financial decision-making ability, but also keep your credit, you know, at high as possible to allow for funding. Because ultimately, we all feel some cyclicity to our industries. And so the most important thing is when things are high, put as much much money away as possible so that you can actually uh, you know, take care of your own downturns. But at the end of the day, again, credit is important because that's the next step to keep your business thriving is to get some good lending. Uh, furthermore, there are always some grants out there. So get with a good grant writer because, you know, it, it depends on your industry. It is the objective of our state, our country, to support these small businesses to continue to, you know, add value to society and keep, you know, the cycle moving. So this may be kind of a related question, but maybe more philosophical and maybe put put on your business advisor hat a little bit. Um, okay. Because, you know, you hear that phrase, you got to spend money to make money. You hear that quite a bit, right? Um, but then you also, I know I've seen businesses where in in you know what Josh is talking about, when there's when there starts to be a downturn, you know, they're cutting expenses and cutting all these different things to the point where it it has such an impact on the experience that it's a downward spiral, right? So when you're advising clients in those situations, like are you telling them to take your reserves and invest or to cut? Or like where where are you? Where are you kind of advising in, in those situations? <laughs> this is going to be funny. I tell them 100% of the time, stop focusing on the cost and start focusing on production. Diversify your revenue. So let's figure out what is the next thing we can do to make money. 
So that's my 100% of the time response because we can be so focused on, oh my gosh, what's going on? Oh, oh, we're losing money. Oh, everything's so expensive. We get so bogged down naturally quickly because that's how we're taught. Scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. But the abundant mindset is not afraid of the downturn, but, but instead we, we, oh, wait, wait a minute, is dropping? Oh, okay. What's our income looking like? Where are we missing? Okay. How can we diversify our revenue? How can we create another product or maybe another service or we can start creating opportunities to generate more money. So what I tell people is keep your focus on production. Don't worry about cost. Keep your focus on production and cost will take care of itself. Hmm. So from that mindset and the abundance mindset, uh, is that to say that focusing on, on top line is more important than focusing on bottom line? Because if you focus on bottom or on top line revenue, it should, in theory, if done well, outweigh perhaps any incremental costs if you're just focusing on bottom line. Well, I think that focusing, so your focus shifts every every cycle of your industry, your focus shifts, right? When things are going so good, you're not really focusing on the top line, you're focusing on everyday operations and, and mitigating that cost so that you know, if, if if a component is a dollar today and five tomorrow, you're going to pay attention to that on a month to month. Typically, we start focusing on the top when we feel that shift, then it's an instant abundant thinking. OK, all right, we're turning down because if our costs stay consistent, why why would we go down? Mm -hmm. So if we're maintaining our costs consistent, there's no reason for us to have it down. If income is steady and cost is steady, we should be okay. But costs, uh, if we are giving out, you know, food at our food cost goes up or some components to our park is, is going up, that goes up. Well, then we need to, what do we do? 100% of the time we pass it on to the consumer, right? So, you know, so that's what we need to analyze to see if, okay, we need to increase our prices or create another revenue stream to harness that change. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Patty, I'm wondering if we can kind of um, maybe pull back a little bit and think about things again from that holistic standpoint. Sure. Think about it as if you are, you know, you're interacting with the CEO, they understand the numbers and those type of things. What type of things do you typically get asked about from a, a business advisor standpoint that might help other businesses? Good question. So the leadership style is a big deal. Um, I feel that leadership is critical because every facet of your business, you need to have a good leadership style in order for you to create the opportunities and the environment, a healthy environment where people are going to thrive. So transformational leadership style is the most advantageous leadership style because we inspire and motivate we empower our employees to produce with, without hurting feelings. It's the most compassionate way to get your people to work. So we consult about leadership styles. I also consult with them as far as, you know, hiring the right people. Who are those uh, that we need to hire? How do we focus our hiring process so that we hire like-minded people that see the passion in what we're doing? 
right? So these are conversations we're having. We're also talking about, you know, the budgeting side of it. Of course, it always comes back to money with me. <laughs> so we talk about the budgeting side, but relationships are important. And today more than ever, because in, in, in a transformation leadership style, we actually value our employees. We value their input. It's absolutely brilliant to learn about you, about who you are, so that we can serve one another, find a way to serve one another and create an environment that where we thrive. Unhappy employee works very hard. You know, their integrity even gets, uh, you know, strengthened through that type of leadership style. So we talk about leadership style, we talk about budgeting, we talk about hiring, we talk about cost mitigating, we're talking about tax mitigating, and we're talking about production. And very recently, um, I did see a company completely going down a downturn. And I was like, okay, well, what is going on? And what was going on is that their pricing wasn't right based on the service they provide. I said, okay, well, if you're not a professional industry, you're selling a product or a service, you got to think about how you're pricing that. So we talk about pricing strategies. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the topic of transformational leadership, can you tell us what what goes into a transformational leader that might be different from, say, a status quo leader? Okay, so the status quo leader is more or less a, a more more of a dictator type, you know, uh, barking orders what we need to do. Uh, it's it's a little bit different. A transformational leader uh, more or less empowers others to do the job and to do it well. We basically influence the idea and we we influence the love for our idea. So if our idea is to create this incredible amusement park in, you know, Italy, Rome, then how do I get everyone inspired to see my vision and make them fall in love with the vision and get excited to create that vision for me? So what goes into that is the compassion, the, the um, mindset of inclusion, collaboration. What goes into that is a, um, a value-driven, it's got to be a value-driven approach. Like there's a genuine regard and care for people and care to see them succeed and open up the floor for them to give us ideas. So that's how a transformation leader operates. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I could talk about, and Josh could too, I know, talk about transformational leadership and company culture and all those things uh, for days and days and days. Uh, we are running a little short on time here, sure. but there was something I wanted to ask you because I will call myself a, a numbers averse kind of person. Like uh, numbers are just not my thing, right? And right. so when I when I meet somebody who is so motivated to be, um, you know, is I don't want to say you're driven by numbers, but you you are you're you're motivated and you're you're driven to help people through the numbers. So I'm curious, what is it about that part of the business that drives you so much? Oh my gosh. Um, I just love the whole journey of setting a goal and accomplishing it. And it's typically around numbers. So um, I set every year, I set X amount of goals in numbers and every single month I have to hit X amount. 
I am absolutely driven by production. I'm a production-driven person. Uh, and I think about it as 17 years old, public accounting, we all work on billable hours. They beat it in my head that you have to be productive with billable hours. So what does that look like to you? What does that look like to you know uh, the, in the attraction industry, a business owner that runs the park? What does that look like? Um, what is your passion? What motivates you? What drives you? Why do you have a part? What about that? You know, do you love, what do you love about that? Right? So if it's not numbers you're driven by, but you're a business and you need to be successful to earn a living or to leave a legacy and build a retirement, then at some point you got to fall in love with the journey to accomplishment. I don't love money. For the fat for for money's sake, I love the opportunity. This it buys you. So having that that abundant mindset, I I don't care about money like that. I care about the journey of accomplishing a goal that I set forth, and, and then the goal is I want to buy another property. So I got to do this and this and this and that to accomplish buying that property. So you have to figure out what that passion is. It doesn't necessarily have to be with numbers. But numbers is always the end result. <laughs> and, and what I like about what you just said is you can you can assign numbers to any of the goals that you have in your life. They can they can become quantitative, and that can be kind of the the north star and the guide rail to go. If you're trying to learn a new topic on something, it's I'm going to read for X amount of minutes per day on this, right? That's yeah. that's a number. So even someone who's numbers averse said, okay, I know I know how to process an hour, right? I can you know I can yeah. I can quantify it from that standpoint. Uh, so it can be applied to anything, whether it's whether it's money or or any of the other goals that we have. That's the the M part of the smart process, yes. right? Right. Specific measurable. Well, it's the measurable uh, uh, piece of it. So, well, um, absolutely. And just to add to that, to our earlier comment is, you know, what should a business owner, any business owner of any industry, including um, you guys' focus industry, you got to look at your numbers every day. You got to look at your bank account every day. You got to see what's happening every day. We are in a in a world where fraud is massive. You got to see you know, what's going on with your finances every day. And I find that a lot of these business owners are afraid to look at it. Why? Mm. What is that paradigm that drives that fear? Uh, and fear is never a way to succeed anything in life. So it's very important that uh, we start educating folks to get out of that fear mentality, look at it, because it's your livelihood. And so that's why I'm so passionate about educating about financial literacy and and, and money and, and successful business thinking and how to diversify that thought process because it's our livelihood. So it's important. And I would imagine people may have that fear that if I look at it, then I've got to do something about it and I don't know what to do about it. So I'm just not going to look Good. at it. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and it makes sense. It makes sense. And, and one of my, um, you know, speaking engagements, uh, a lady did ask me that. How often should I look at my bank account, my money? And I'm just like, every day, <laughs> every day. And in spite of not knowing what to do about it, look at it anyway, because facing your fear is only going to become easier when you keep practicing it, you know? So 
face that fear, look at it anyway. And if you don't like what you see, call me. We're going to figure that out. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so I know we're, we're winding down here, but I, I do have one final question for you because you mentioned financial literacy a, a few times. And at the beginning of the interview, you talked about how it's how it's really not taught in, in schools. And I'm curious, what, you know, why that is. I, I saw uh, a tweet once on uh, not too long ago that said, um, I'm, I'm so glad I learned about parallelograms in school instead of doing taxes. It's really come in handy this parallelogram season. Uh, <laughs> and and why, like, why is that? Why, why are we not taught financial literacy when we're growing up? I, 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 I really love this question. And this is absolutely my opinion, although it's becoming pretty uh, factual. Why would this country teach children financial literacy when we are taught to be in debt hmm. i mean the greatest business in this world are banks and insurance companies you know so why we are taught to be in debt so that we can continue to feed the economy feed the banks feed everybody else and what's left for us so we got to start thinking with the mitigating mindset we got to start thinking pay myself first, you know, with that concept. I'm working, I'm busting my buns, I'm working hard, I'm generating this, pay myself first, get your paycheck first, watch how much tax is coming out, make sure that your salary is placed in such a way you're not paying excessive taxes. In an S corporation, those profits are only subject to one tax versus a disregarded entity subject to five taxes, big difference. There's a huge tax savings in just that simple adjustment of an LLC, making a selection. So, you know, we have to be cognitively aware of these uh, financial matters because ultimately we are not taught to be financially well. We are taught to live on Social Security when we retire. Well, I'm sorry, but the maximum Social Security is not something you can live with, even the maximum. So you have to create multiple avenues of uh, money. You got to create passive income. You got to create, you have your wages. You got to have social security. You got to have a whole life insurance policy. You got to have four to five different channels of income. And, and, and we have got to teach our, our business owners and our, and our society to start thinking more positively about money. Absolutely. Well, I hope that in people hearing your your uh, what you have to say on this interview, they'll start thinking more positively about money. I know as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go check my bank account. Um, so, Patty, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation. If people wanted to learn more about you, where would you send them? Sounds good. So, I do have a website, MasonAccountingServices.com. I also have an Instagram, Mason Accounting. I have a LinkedIn, Patty E Mason E A. Uh, and MD, Dr. Patty Mason, EMD. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn. And then you can call us here at 321 335 4400. And that are the various ways uh, you can reach me. Awesome. Excellent. Patty, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I, I've learned so much. I feel like I feel like I can keep adding more questions to the list here to, to ask you. Maybe I'll, I'll have to give you a call. Uh, but in the sure. meantime, thank you so much for being here with us today. And for everyone out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.